0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures this morning. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. As we are wrapping up verses 7 through 14 and getting ready for our first look at... uh, Fifteen through nineteen. I think I'm going to handle fifteen through nineteen under point seven. We'll do uh, yeah seven through fourteen and point six, and then that will leave twenty through twenty-three verses twenty through twenty-three to cover under main point eight in uh, in our outline. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are humble under the authority of doctrine. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word, the blessings that we have to assemble together. Father, the stability that your word provides for our soul in the uh, midst of this crooked and perverse generation, Father, I thank you for the absolute standard of truth. Thank you for the blessing this morning to assemble together to receive instruction. We ask for your hand upon us as we study to show ourselves approved, that you would hedge us about, protect us, and uh, bless our time in your word today, Father. I do thank you in Jesus Christ's name amen all right this is uh, chapter 5 being the second of our five discourses on fornication and uh, you're probably tired of looking at these by now so uh, i won't uh, show this to you again but there it is all right remember the first one that we had was in chapter 2 verses uh, 16 through 19 Proverbs 5 contains the second out of five discourses uh, on fornication that are included in what I call the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. Chapter 1 through 9 is the parental wisdom portion of the book, uh, filled with all the my son, my son admonishments that we have in these early chapters. So chapter 2 has the first one, which is very short, just three verses, sixteen or four verses, 16 through 19 of Proverbs 2. The final one is also short in chapter 9. It's uh, contained in verses 13 through 18, all right? And sometimes the short admonishment is sufficient, and you can leave it at that. Uh, But the middle three are uh, much longer. And uh, here in chapter 5, we have the first of those middle three. Lengthy discourses. And it really contains all of the chapter, truly. But verses uh, 3 through 23 is the uh, discourse against fornication. Uh, we'll follow that up with chapter 6 uh, in verses 24 through 35. And then in chapter 7, verses 5 through 27. And all of these together paint, uh, a lot of them are redundant, a lot of them are saying the same thing again and again and again. And you ask yourself, well, why do we have to say this over and over and over again? Because uh, you're dealing with a young person who needs to hear it over and over and over again. You're dealing with a, a young adult who's on the verge of leaving home, who's on the verge of entering into their own generational accountability, and they need to hear it again and again and again and again. They're dealing with hormones and issues and things they've never been tempted with before, and they uh, are approaching a time of life whereby their failures are going to carry some pretty dramatic consequences and it's going to be hurtful it's going to be damaging if they uh fall in these regards uh, there could be uh, impact for the rest of their lives and so i like the way that uh, these messages repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat again and so this is what we've been dealing with here uh main point point two we gave you a lot of uh harlotry uh, vocabulary related to the strange woman the foreign woman the uh, the harlot and uh, the verbs for fornicate and commit adultery anyway moved on to some other things in points three four and five today i want to pick up where we are in main point six which is verses seven through fourteen the far and near admonition i call this the far and near admonition and I, I take that out of verse seven, um, as we look, at, or verse eight, as we look at it here. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. <laughs> okay, far and near, and it's really saying the same thing twice. That's that's common in Hebrew poetry. If you're keeping your way far from her, you're not going near the uh, the door of her house, and both are true as you obey the far and near admonition. It's designed to prevent almost utter ruin almost utter ruin and that comes at the end of the paragraph down in verse 14 i was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation almost in utter ruin and so if you think of utter as the utmost as the maximum as as you can't even imagine anything beyond that because it's utter ruin you're really one step shy of the to death at that point and uh, to be almost utter shows you how far this goes, how uh, um, destructive this uh, realm of life can be. All right? Now I believe every sin is habit-forming, but certain sins are more habit-forming than others. And uh, the, the fornication sins build patterns in the soul and do damage to the soul, which is what uh, we have to talk about today as we talk about the heart and the hatred in uh, in verse 12. So this is the far and near admonition. Under this we uh, gave you main point A a week ago last Wednesday we were talking about proximity being a danger so why risk it? You can uh, do yourself a big favor if you put the distance there in the, uh, in the first place. Since proximity is a danger don't put yourself in those places. Secondly fornication is a substantial giveaway we looked at this under subpoint B, and look at all the giveaways that happen here: your vigor, your years, your strength, and your hard-earned goods. Look at what you're just giving away, and you're giving it away to folks that aren't entitled to it. As it says in verse nine, you will give your vigor to others, your years to the cruel one. It's just a giveaway. These uh, these women aren't entitled to your vigor, all right, or your uh, your years. Your strangers will be filled with your strength. It doesn't belong to them, it belongs to your wife. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. It doesn't belong to her, it belongs to your wife, it belongs to your kids, your grandkids. You are ruining your legacy, you are ruining your inheritance uh, through this fornication, through this harlotry. And so uh, we spelled those out for you in the sub points here. The vigor uh, the vigor is a man's majesty, his splendor. It's really, it's quite a remarkable Hebrew vocabulary study on this. Uh, but that vigor, that uh, doesn't belong to any, anybody in town other than the one you're married to. That, is, that belongs to your wife, according to 1 Corinthians 7.3. It's called your duty. The man must fulfill his duty to his wife. The wife must fulfill her duty to her husband. That the sexual vigor belongs to your spouse and no one else your years to the cruel one, the actual damage that gets done in terms of sexual death. And uh, it's a function of age, but sometimes those years arrive sooner rather than later. And sometimes the the sexual dysfunction comes about as a consequence of the divine judgment upon the fornication. And... uh, applications there. Genesis 18 is a good example when Sarah was laughing over the possibility of having marital relations with her husband again. That the, the sexual pleasures had been some time since she and Abraham had enjoyed those uh, pleasures. Then there's your strength and then there's your hard-earned goods. And uh, they go to the alien's house instead of to your house. They should be left to your wife. They should be left to your children in, uh not to, uh, to the stranger's as it says there in verse 10. Point C, and this is where we ran out of time. After all the giveaways, after all the giveaways, the fornicator is left at the end to groan and to grieve. To groan and to grieve. And this is what we see here at the end. Verse 11 through 13 we see the groaning and the grieving or 11 through 14 after all the giveaways what do you have left after all the giveaways, the fornicator is left at the end to groan and to grieve. And there's, here's the aftermath. See, this is what sin never thinks about. Sin is all about the present. Sin is always about the now. Sin is about, hey, it feels good right now. I want to do it. Never thinking about the consequences. Never fe- uh, thinking about the impact it's going to have or down the road, uh, the regrets I'm going to have looking back. That it's all fun and games now, but what am I going to regret 20 years from now thinking back to how stupid I am right here, right now? And that's what we have here with the groaning and the grieving. It says in verse 11, you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. What's the price you're going to pay? What are the consequences? And there are physical consequences to the sexual immorality. There are spiritual consequences to the sexual immorality, to the fornication. And this and by the way as I've been saying throughout this chapter, Swap it around. It's not just a, a masculine issue; it's a feminine issue. You are destroying our our sexual health through this activity. The chapter is written to warn a young man against the uh, the harlot, the, the strange woman, but you can swap it around just as easily uh, to warn the young women against the seducers, against the the uh, the gigolos or the uh, the. the Casanovas that are out there, whatever else you want to call them, right? The Don Juan's, or why do we have so many nicknames for this? <laughs> we uh, warn them against the, uh, the wolves that are out there, the wolves and whatever else. Um, and, the, and the damage gets done there too. Physical damage, soul damage in, uh, in every respect. Flesh and body are consumed as it says here. This is not uh, a good activity. See, we understand that we groan anyway just by being in a fallen body, (laughs) right? That there is, just in terms of of humanity, in terms of mortality, there is a contrast between the inner man and the outer man. The outer man perishes. The inner man is renewed day by day. The outer man is a a mortal thing of, of dust that will return to the dust. It is not eternal. And so that's already a feature of the fall. Now, do you want to exacerbate that? Do you want to uh to make that worse? <laughs> okay? Knowing that it's already a fragile thing that's that's headed to the dust anyway. Now you want to sin against your body? That's what fornication does. And so uh we have the descriptions of it here. Damage that gets done to the flesh. Now there's other sin, you know, the the sexual sin is unique in this respect. Malatitude sin, sins of the tongue, other sins that you do that are damaging to the soul but don't impact the body, but fornication impacts the body. God designed it that way. And so we see it here. Your flesh and your body are consumed. Why are those separated? We usually use those interchangeably. We usually use those as as a... uh, interchangeable synonyms right but here they're distinct and i believe there's two consumptions that take place with respect to that your flesh and your body are consumed to me that gets powerful this is of course in agreement with romans chapter one try bringing up romans chapter one in a conversation today and you'll make enemies pretty quickly <laughs> there's a there's a whole lot of people in our culture that are uh, Engaged in a whole lot of activities that are described here in Romans chapter one, and they uh, don't want to have those spotlighted. But this is what we deal with: Romans chapter one. And we're not saying, obviously, that some sins are better than others, or some sins are worse than others. That if 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 your sin, we all have sins, and so if if my sins don't happen to make this list, then I'm a I'm a better sinner than that other person. <laughs> okay, we're not saying that. However, we do want to identify the enslaving nature of these particular sins and how God gave them over is the, uh, the impact here. So there's so much giving over that takes place. Uh, verse 24 of Romans 1, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Part of the divine discipline is a giving over with damage done to the bodies. The second giving over in verse 26. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. And uh, we've got the lesbianism of verse 26. The women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman. Okay? And I know there's a ton of literature on this and the the pro-fornication crowd tries to redefine theology to try to redefine natural function. We've got to go with the biblical definition of natural function. And uh, for a man, the natural function is the woman. And for the woman, the natural function is the man. And so we have here the uh, the lesbianism and the homosexuality in verses 26 and 27. The third giving over, by the way, comes in verse 28, uh, where it gets compounded for the third time and the final time. Um, God gave them over to a depraved mind and now the mind is completely gone in uh, slavery to this, uh, to this sin nature. But one little bar- part here in verse 27, the damage that's done for, uh, for the homosexual sins, for lesbianism and homosexuality. You'll note, uh, again, in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts. And what does it say? receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The due penalty of their error. This is divine discipline, physical consequences for fornication. And yet uh, the quickest way to become persecuted in our day and age is to say anything about homosexuality with a negative connotation or some kind of a physical uh, uh, consequences or, or discuss AIDS and the nature of AIDS in the in the homosexual community and things of that nature. But there it is, divinely assigned. First Corinthians 6.18, another passage. First Corinthians 6.18 discusses the consequences for bodily rebellions. First Corinthians six. And this was a real problem in Corinth. Remember Corinth was a sexual town. Corinth the, the, had the, the temple of Aphrodite there, she's the goddess of sex and all of the uh, thousand priestesses of that temple that uh, not for every young man as a voyage to Corinth was the, was the saying in that day and age. And even the church was having issues with this. Uh, most of the folks that got saved in Corinth had a background with, the, with that temple, and had a background with this kind of thing and a certain segment of the believers took the, the teaching on grace and perverted it. It said, hey, our sins are forgiven. Woohoo! we can do whatever we want to do now. There's no more, we're not under the law anymore. Paul had to deal with that. And uh, the application's here, all right? I love the fact that we have the condemnation in verses 9 and 10 and the testimony of grace in verse 11. This is uh, This is a blessing here. It says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. By the way, that's the two sides of male homosexuality there, the passive and active, the, the feminine and the... Why is it <laughs> that whether it's lesbians or homosexuals, that they still portray a, a, a masculine-feminine duality in, uh, in some of their uh, situations? Anyway, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There it is. And so what's the answer? The answer isn't to stop doing those things or to repent or whatever, whatever. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. The answer is getting saved. All right, get saved and understand now you have positional righteousness, eternal life in Christ. And uh, that's not a, a magic wand to cure those, those other sins, but it gets you on the path where you can start to grow and get your mind renewed and start to retrain uh, what you have trained your body in all this time. Now, same chapter, a little bit lower down. Um, All is lawful, but not all is profitable. Verse 12, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Ask yourself, who's in charge of this? Do I have sovereignty or not? Am I volitionally accountable before the Lord? Do I control my body or does my body control me? Do I control my sex life or does my sex life control me? Uh, do Do I control alcohol or does alcohol control me? You know, in any addiction, ask yourself, wait, am I making these choices or is alcohol making these choices? Who's in the driver's seat here? And with respect to my appetites, my sex life or whatever else, I will not be mastered by anything. If my uh, sex drive is causing me to make choices I wouldn't make otherwise, then I'm not in my right mind. I'm a slave to to something else that's making choices that I shouldn't, maybe. I should be making better choices. Why am I not making better choices? Because I'm being mastered by And that's a problem. Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. God will do away with both of them. There's a purpose for the appetite, whether it's uh, food or alcohol or sex or whatever other kind of appetite you want to talk about. But the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, uh, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you realize that? It's more than just simply a metaphor. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. He is the head, uh, the, 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 the king. We are the bride. We understand these metaphors, but the metaphors also carry across to our physical bodies. Since we are the body of Christ, how do we use our bodies? That's the point here in this chapter. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? This this just adds one additional item to think about before you fornicate, okay? The problem is, of course, most people don't think before they fornicate. And hey, you're taking your body parts and your they belong to your spouse, and instead you're doing whatever. This adds an extra layer to say, you know what? This Your body parts belong to Christ. And so I'm going to make them a member of a prostitute? Am I going to make Christ a member of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two shall become one flesh. What happens when you copulate? This is just Genesis and application here. He's making it here. You become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. And this is, this is true of, of one night stands. This is true of, 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 uh, of, of a prostitute you never see again. This is true of, of any of this but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now here's the application. We're talking about the venereal diseases, talking about the, the uh, well they don't call it that anymore, the STDs or the STIs, they keep changing the language. Um, we have it in, in Proverbs 11 when your flesh and your body are consumed, right? What do you think that is? That's, we're talking about sexually transmitted diseases. We're talking about the consumption that we suffer through in the consequences of these things. Likewise, Romans 1.27, we receive the due penalty for the sin. Again, bodily damage that's done. Here it is here. Verse 18, flee fornication. Every other sin that a man commits. Notice, this is not just your goofy pastor making a big deal of sex sins and saying, well, you're just... All sin is sin. Jesus died for all our sins. Don't make a big deal of other sins instead of other sins. Wait a minute. Understand what I'm saying here. I'm not being some kind of Victorian prude and uh, and, and singling out um, fornication. The Bible does this. It says that other sins are different. You know, if you've got anger issues or you've got greed or you've got sins of the tongue, or you're a gossiper, you've got whatever else. No, those sins aren't better, they're not worse, you've got to confess them, and, and I get that. But here is, in addition to all of that, fornicators are sinning against their own body. Sinning against their own body. Remember when David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned? In terms of a person, God is the only one we violate God's standard of righteousness, when we commit sin, we are violating God's standard of righteousness. In terms of a person, God is the only one offended by our sin. But in terms of damage done, we do sin against our bodies when we fornicate. You can't read this verse any other way. The fornicator sins against his own body. And so this verse makes the the sexual sins unique among every other spectrum of sin we might get involved with, because not only are we going to do soul damage and be out of fellowship and face divine discipline and all the rest, and would hay and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ, and beyond all of that, we are also adding the physical component to the consequences of what we're doing. Flesh and body are consumed. It goes on to say that the soul is given over to hate, The soul and spirit are damaged as the heart of hate can have no concord with God fearing believers. The soul and the spirit are damaged. Again, back to Proverbs 5. The soul and the spirit are damaged as the heart of hate can have no concord with God fearing believers. Again, Proverbs five eleven, with the flesh and body consumed, and then the soul and spirit in Proverbs 5.12. 5, 12. And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. Remember the heart is the innermost part of man. It's that dividing asunder between soul and spirit. It's the heart that the Word of God is a critical judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But your heart, because of the damage done in this fornication, begins to hate that very word that's piercing right where it's hitting. How I have hated instruction. Why do you hate instruction? Because it hurts when you're fornicating. (laughs) It hurts when the standard of the word of God is piercing right to the very depths of the soul. And this hate relationship, I should add more verses to this slide. This hate relationship is interesting. Read Ezekiel 16 sometime and read how those two sisters, Israel and Judah, right? a, hol-a-ba, a hol-a-ba-ma. The, the two sisters, and they played the harlot with every, every man under the sun, right? On every high place, under every tree, they were fornicating all over the place. And all of their lovers hated her and she hated them. It does, It's not fostering the intimacy that sex was designed by God to foster, the soul intimacy between one man and one woman and the lifelong commitment of heirs together, the grace of life. Promiscuity does just the opposite. Instead of fostering that love, it fosters hate. It fosters hate again and again and again and again. A lot of times in ways we don't even see. A lot of times in ways we don't even think about until years later something comes up and all of a sudden flashback there's that memory there's that hate and so uh we have it here the the heart of hate can have no concord with god-fearing believers and of course we understand that principle out of second corinthians 6 verses 14 through 18 there's supposed to be harmony and concord and you destroy that with hate 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. So we've got to be careful with what we join ourselves to. It says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, this is in our interpersonal relationships. It doesn't have to be a sexual relationship. In fact, we very rarely teach 2 Corinthians in a sexual context. But that's what we're dealing with this morning. Uh, it could be a business partnership it could be in uh, obviously in marriage you don't want to marry an unbeliever you don't want to why you and if you aren't going to marry an unbeliever why are you dating an unbeliever i think you're just it's that proximity that leads to trouble again but do not be bound together with unbelievers and clearly even though it's not a sexual passage we can apply it in a sexual way that's a uh, coming together what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And look at all these different terms that are found. Partnership. The man and the woman are to be partners. The the idea was that Adam said, there's no helper suitable to me, corresponding to me. And God said, you're right. Thank you for uh, for pointing that out. I'm glad you identified that that need. Let me remedy that need. And he provided the woman for the man. What uh, fellowship has light with darkness? Marriage should be a fellowship relationship. What harmony has Christ with Belial? So we have partnership, we have fellowship, we have harmony. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? We have commonality. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So when you look at all these descriptions from, from uh, partnership to harmony to commonality to agreement, look at all these, to fellow, I missed fellowship, to all of these. And we're going to look what we're doing when we're when we're fornicating. We're destroying the very thing that we should have with our spouse: partnership, fellowship, commonality, harmony, agreement. And the reason why we're destroying that is because we're creating the heart out of the, the the hatred in our heart and in our soul. That's why it says. Uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. God says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will be welcome, and I will welcome you. This intimacy requires that we separate from evil. All right. So soul and spirit are damaged. Sometimes, I should have made that a separate point, main mean point three. That's all right. God's mercy sometimes destroys the flesh in order to save the spirit. 1 Corinthians 5.5 5. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. You wonder why lifespan gets shortened. Maybe it's because God's merciful. Why do homosexuals lose 20 years off their lifespan? Maybe it's because God's merciful. Maybe it's because God shortens it and and mitigates the the soul damage that would otherwise be done. And here with this man of incest in 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul uh, delivers him over. Remember the delivering over from Romans? Here's uh, the Apostle Paul delivering over. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. The shortening of the life. We talk about X number of days, Y number of days, Z number of days. Sometimes the shortening of life through the sin and the death is a mercy. Because at least it allows some kind of production. It's not all wood, hay, and stubble. It's not all thrown away. For the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So there, sometimes God's mercy will destroy the flesh in order to save the spirit. Sometimes uh, we get we, we suffer what we suffer so that God wakes us up to the spiritual realities. And does he then take away the the may not? Whatever it is, see. Anyway, there's different aspects there. Yeah, I'm going to change that. I'm going to separate that out. We're not going to reteach it next week, but when you do see the notes in the final form, you'll notice I'm going to separate out that second part as a sub-point 3. All right, try to keep things more simple. Moving on, point 7. Getting back to Proverbs 5 now. We're done with the venereal disease. We're done with the fornicators. We're done with the harlots. We're done with the... I mean, we'll get back to them. Don't get me wrong. Well, There's more to come. <laughs> okay. Uh, 20 through 23, we're back to the harlots again. And then chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 9. But here's a nice change of pace. Marriage. Point 7. The Bible contains more than various lists of prohibitions. The Bible is just not a book of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And if you do, if you do, if you do. Okay? It also contains positive commands, blessings. The Bible contains more than various lists of prohibitions. Every form of fornication is prohibited. And a prohibition, if you're not familiar with it, a prohibition is simply a negative imperative. It's it's an imperative with with the negation connected. So um, we have negative imperatives. So that means uh, everything that's off limits. Everything that's don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. If you want a long list of those, you can find them in Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, And after you've made everybody mad in Romans chapter 1, then you're going to make them more mad when you take them to Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. And they'll probably shake a finger at you and say, well, we can eat pork now, so throw away Leviticus. Right? (laughs) We can eat shellfish now, so throw away Leviticus. And they're just completely irrational in their hermeneutic and in their handling of the scriptures. We understand that dietary restrictions are superseded by the grace provisions of of the body of Christ in the New Testament. We have God's authority in Scripture to to, uh, dispense with the dietary requirements of the law. But we have no passage in the New Testament where God says, okay, uh, open fornication all you want now. It's it's just not there. We don't throw away all of Leviticus because we are in the New Testament era. Every form of fornication is prohibited. But, notice, marital sex is commanded. Marital sex is commanded. I think the Victorian era gets a bad rap. And uh, evangelicals get a bad rap. They say, well, you're just anti-sex, anti-sex, anti No, I'm anti-fornication. I'm very pro-sex. The Bible is very pro-sex in marriage, where it belongs. It's actually commanded via positive imperatives, okay? And these are the favorite Bible verses of every husband that ever went to church, <laughs> okay? These are, these are the pro-sex marriage verses in, uh, in the Bible, and even uh, husbands that don't otherwise memorize Bible verses uh, tend to find these, and, uh, and there they are. It's the fornication that is prohibited. So no, the Bible's not anti-sex, not at all. The Bible's very pro-sex, it's anti-fornication. And if we can, start, if we can keep those terms distinct, I think we do real well. And um, it, it may require us to do that. Because I, I think we've got a culture that is so redefined language, they can't even think in, in, in logical terms anymore. We've redefined. We've added adjectives to things that you can't add adjectives to. And 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 sadly, when when you lose the language, you lose the the, the whole culture is gone. And so uh, maybe it's it's a it's more of a philosophical thing to start with. Um, and and I don't know if we're not going to single handedly rewrite the dictionary or, or cause. Our, our 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 nation to, to use terms in the appropriate way. They've already, I mean, look what they use with love, you know, and without any kind of framework to understand agape or phileo or eros or anything else. Look what they do with um, with sex, and and they and they put they put adjectives on it. There's no business putting an adjective on, and and if they understood the meanings of these, that that it's the it's the marriage act. That's what sex is, is the marriage act. Then, how can you have the premarital marriage act or the extramarital marriage act? You see what I'm saying? It's like a married bachelor. It's, it's, it's internally contradictory and nonsensical. You know, it's, it's, they, they talk about gay marriage and whatever. Well, if homosexuality is fornication, then you're talking about fornication marriage. But how do you have fornication marriage when fornication is everything outside of marriage? So you have fornication non-fornication. or it's, 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 You see what I'm saying? You're taking a term and it's opposite and you're combining them together. Like jumbo shrimp. All right, Or military intelligence. Something like that. Okay, there's, there's a lot of oxymorons that we just kind of live with. All right, now I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but let's, let's look at Leviticus 18, let's look at Leviticus 20, just so you know how to find them, you know where they are. All right. We uh, probably also ought to add Deuteronomy 22 to that, but we'll just leave it like this. All the thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots. And, and even within these are some positive statements that we'll understand once we get to the positive imperatives and look back. So Leviticus 18, and uh, there's 30 verses. We don't have to read all of them because they're they're fairly redundant, and and they need to be. They're they're, they're redundant again and again and again and again to make the point over and over and over in these different ways. So, um, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt. You are Israelites, not Egyptians. You are a holy people. You belong to me. You live your life on a holy basis, not like those Gentiles around you. And uh, you are to, verse 4, you are to perform my judgments. Verse 5, you shall keep my statutes. All right, starting in verse 6 now. Here's all the don't do's. Um, you shall not approach a blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. I am the Lord okay? And you're going to see this phrase, uncover nakedness, uncover nakedness. And that includes not just looking at it, but what happens once you get it uncovered, okay? And that includes, it's the expression for, but it starts with the uncovering. There's, there's another thing. We've got this, uh, our nation thinks there's no issue with, with nudity and, and immodesty and, and other things that, well, it's not a problem if I'm just looking at it. Well, it, it leads to that. And then and the whole thing comes down to whether we are holy or not before the Lord, so um, incest is wrong. If, if you're related, then there's no, uh, then it's fornication. If you're related, then, then you don't get married and you don't fornicate. And just in case there's any uh, question about, well, what do you mean by related? It gets even more detailed. Um, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, that is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. So the man of incest in 1 Corinthians 5 violated this law. And uh, there's, there's more to it than that. Not only is it wrong, but that nakedness does not belong to you. That is not your nakedness. You know, and then uh, you're watching a movie and the girl takes her shirt off and whatever and you're looking at, that's not your nakedness. That belongs to her husband, not her, not you and the rest of America watching the movie and whatever. Well, there I go, now I'm a prude. Okay. Um, the nakedness of your father's wife, it's your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside. Keep in mind that home and outside, we got—we got to deal with that in Proverbs 5 because there's uh, there's home and outside, there's near, there's far, there's in town and out of town and uh, we, we were not allowed to fornicate just because we're out of town on a business trip, okay? <laughs> That's coming up. You've got to say that kind of stuff, and it's in Proverbs. All right. But notice, who does the nakedness belong to? The nakedness of your son's daughter, the, or your daughter's daughter. The nakedness you shall not uncover, for their nakedness is yours. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter. Then you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's blood relative. That means she's your blood relative. Anyway, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, Why is incest a violation of the law? Why is incest not acceptable? You don't marry someone that you are um, connected to. Yeah, you get birth defects and all kinds of other genetic issues. And and you're violating the law of God here. Um, The nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Now, she's not a blood relation, but her nakedness belongs to your brother, doesn't belong to you. Plus, she's not your wife. That's adultery. <laughs> okay. Um, if you're going to be a polygamist, then your wives better not be sisters. That's down there in verse 18. Or mother daughter, or mother granddaughter. Those are called lewdness. Um. Sex during the menstrual cycle, in verse 19, is out of bounds. Neighbor's wife is out of bounds. Uh, of course, child sacrifice. Obviously, all this free-willing fornication produces babies, and offer the baby off to Molech so you can keep your fornicating going. Babies really cramp your lifestyle. Have you noticed that? Homosexuality, in verse 20. If you lie with a male as one lies with a female, it's an abomination. Are we saying that that sin is worse than other sins? Well most sins are not called abominations but a certain small select number of them are called abominations and they defile the land they defile the land you should not have intercourse with an animal to be defiled with it. that's just disgusting all right disgusting they say oh it's a beautiful thing no it's not if you are that delusional to say it's a beautiful thing it shows you where your mind has been given over this is not only is it sinful it's not natural it's not human also notice, verse 24, "Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I'm casting out before you have become defiled. The very nation becomes defiled. The land has become defiled." Notice that in verse 25. OK? Think about it. This just doesn't show up in the, in the real estate guides. There's other things that they they, they talk about, ooh, well, you're going to bring down the property values of your neighbors or or there's certain crime neighborhoods and it's a blight on our crime neighborhood and and the property values decrease because of whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, why don't the realtors start bringing this passage into their consideration? (laughs) To say, uh, you live in a town with uh, unrestrained fornication and your land has become defiled. The land itself has become defiled. And it's not politically correct to talk about all the slavery and, for, and fornicating and cannibalism and all of the demonism of the, of the uh, Native Americans. But this land was defiled before Christianity arrived. And this passage describes it. So I have brought forth its punishment upon it, so that the land has vomited, spewed out its inhabitants. When does a culture lose lose their land? When the land vomits them up and God gives it over. Remember the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation are in God's sovereignty according to Acts chapter 17. So, you will note, we have effects when we fornicate. Our bodies are damaged. But the land we live in has effects when we fornicate and when our country puts up with it. Adultery was supposed to be stoned. Harlotry was stoned. Fornicators were stoned. Homosexuals were stoned. Bestiality stoned. You put these people to death. Am I advocating the death penalty for adultery? It's part of God's perfect law in the Old Testament. We'd have a... (laughs) Don't get me wrong, we're living in a fantasy world now. Do you think politicians today would vote for death penalty for for they will they don't even like death penalty for serial killers, you know? But child molesters, fornicators, adulterers, we'd lose half a Congress right there. <laughs> they're not gonna they're gonna vote for that. But you have a lot less divorce when you execute your adulterers, because you have a lot more widows. And free to remarry. Free to raise up the child. Anyway. Got all of these do not, do nots, do nots, do nots, do nots. And the land becomes defiled. The men commit these things. And notice, verse 26, As for you, you are to keep my statutes, my judgments. You shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native... Okay, the people that belong there, the citizens, nor the alien who sojourns among you. Okay, He's not an immigrant. He's an alien that's sojourning among you. But he has to follow this law too, or he's going to get put to death because his fornication will defile your land as well. The men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so the land will, spew, will not spew you out. See, This is why in Joshua's conquest... He was removing all those ites from the land. All right. Chapter 20 is largely, uh, there's additional items here as well. A man who marries woman, a woman and her mother, uh, lying with a man as you lie with a woman, um, bestiality, incest, all these things. So now why is it why is it that we have a term that applies to everything else okay if it's within marriage it's called sex it's called the marriage bed in in Hebrews 13 or the act of marriage right was that a Tim LaHaye book years ago the act of marriage or different people call it that the marriage act. There's marriage and the marriage act. That's what consummates the marriage. You you sign the the, the contract between the parents, you make the arrangement for the for the uh, for the, the marriage, you come together, and the marriage act is what consummates the marriage. Everything else, whether it's incest or pedophilia or homosexuality or premarital uh, which is unmarital, harlotry, fornication, adultery, all these other things, all fall under the label of fornication. Okay? God's genius the way He does this. It's like Jew and Gentile, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, a Gentile is just this umbrella term that means anything that's not a Jew. An American, a Greek, a French, a Roman, a Russian, a, you know, you can, you can keep naming people groups for, till the cows come home. And as long as it's not a Jew, it's a Gentile all right? Same thing with fornication. Homosexuality, bestiality, incest, rape, all these other things, all right? If it's not a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage, it's fornication. Everything else is fornication. A man and a woman in marriage is the marriage act. It's actually I'm not going to get away with this. <laughs> we should call sex, sex between a married man and woman. And everything else isn't sex, it's fornication. But good luck getting, getting away with that. That's not, I'm not going to redefine the terms there. Okay. So the Bible gives us more than just this long list of don'ts, right? You know, and, and we want to do the same thing in our parenting. We want to do the same thing. We don't just wait, shake our finger at our children and say, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. Well, what should they be doing? What's the positive command, all right? The positive commands. And that's what we have here. Proverbs five fifteen through 19 is a positive command to uh, to have sex with your wife, to have sex with your husband. Uh, likewise, Genesis two twenty four and 25, positive command. Song of Solomon, positive command. Uh 1 Corinthians positive command. Hebrews 13, 4, positive commands. Okay? And do I want to take these in order or out of order? What do I want to do with these? I want to end with where we are today in Proverbs 5. So let's let's uh take these somewhat backwards. Let's go to Hebrews 13, 4. marriage is to be held in honor among all. Everybody. That means married people and unmarried people. Married people and uh, virgins. Married people and divorced people. Uh, Widows. Everybody. Everybody ought to honor marriage. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. This this leaves no wiggle room for any other understanding. It's called the marriage bed. <laughs> okay? Now, of course, we're not talking about the furniture. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Unbelievers and, you know, virgins can sleep in beds. We're not saying that. It has nothing to do with the, the furniture they're sleeping in. But sex is called the marriage bed. That's what makes it a marriage bed. Okay? We're not, again, it's not... You've got water beds and bunk beds and what I mean we're not talking about furniture. The marriage bed is the is the expression for sex. It's designed for a man a man and a woman in marriage is called the marriage bed. and if you violate that, you're not honoring God's design for marriage, and you are either a fornicator or an adulterer or both. So there it is, all right, first Corinthians seven three. 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 3 is the positive command. Before that we've got the negative. Um, Verse 1. Yeah. Concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man, that is a single man, not to touch a woman. Are you single? Divorced? Widowed? Whatever? If you are unmarried, then no sex. Don't touch a woman. But, Because of fornications, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. And the husband must, here's the command, fulfill his duty to his wife. Okay, that's commanded. Your vigor belongs to her. Bless her with your vigor. Likewise, the wife must fulfill her duty to her husband. Her body belongs to him. She must please him. That's the command. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. Stop depriving one another. When you use sex as a weapon in your marriage, you are violating this verse, and you are destroying the love that's supposed to bind your marriage together. It's a hate application of a damaged soul. What we keep talking about. Stop depriving one another. That's theft. Fraud. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time. Now, there may come a time that you voluntarily set that apart. You voluntarily, the man and the woman together, say, Look, let's give this up for whatever. Okay? We're going to give it up for, I'm not going to list a length of time, whatever you say. So we're going to give it up for a month. We're going to give it up for a week. We're going to give it up for a year. We're going to give it up for a day. Whatever you're going to give it up for. Okay? and that's entirely up to you based upon whatever your typical um practices are okay but you decide to give it up for whatever significant period of time and it better be something that is significant based upon your your uh customs okay your appetites don't just say hey we're going to give it up for 10 minutes okay if that's yeah that's a great loss okay so that you can come together, devote yourself together to prayer, come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But that's not by command. That's just a suggestion by way of concession. All right. So it's commanded. Every form of fornication is prohibited, but marital sex is commanded. Hebrews 13, 4, 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Um, Genesis. Two, twenty four and twenty five. Genesis two. He brings the rib to, uh, back to Adam, took the rib out, and when he brings the rib back, it's, uh, different. <laughs> Much improved. All right. Very pretty. Um, he fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought her to the man. And man, the man says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. He names the woman like he named the animals. This is authority. This is sovereignty. This is delegated responsibility. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. This is body, soul, and spirit. This is, this is the joining together of two into one. And you're leaving the, the, the subjugation of parents. You're no longer under the authority of father and mother. You are now in a, in a unity, man and woman. And they shall become one flesh. The sex act is the act between the man and the woman that have left father and mother, that have formed a new unit to bring forth the next generation, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're not naked, and we're not. We're both naked, and we're not ashamed. And that's a lot more Hebrew than we're going to get into this morning. But it, it, it's the, the the Hebrew terms for uh, for 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 private parts the, 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 are the terms for shame. And uh, to be naked and not ashamed is the blessings of marriage. The activity there. All right. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Get past Proverbs, get past Ecclesiastes, you get to Song of Solomon. I'm just going to read one example out of, what, seven chapters, nine chapters, seven chapters, I think. Eight chapters? All right. One example will suffice. Every chapter has them. The whole book is about sex. The whole book is about marriage and uh, warning the virgins, the the daughters of Jerusalem, not to ignite a hunger until it's time. Don't get involved in these feelings too soon. So uh, song of songs which is Solomon's may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine your oils have a pleasing fragrance your name is like putrefied oil. Sorry, not, terrible purified not putrefied that's horrible your name is like purified oil therefore the maidens love you okay and so I mean this whole thing the whole book is given over to the senses it's very sensual how the person looks, how they smell, how they taste, how they, how they sound. And, and the attractions that we have, visual, um, auditory, and smelling, olfactory, and, and tasting, and all the rest. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. And we know what happens there, all right? She is excited about her wedding night excited about what happens in the king's chambers but she's not alone in this we will rejoice in you and be glad we will extol your sex life more than wine okay there's different terms for love and song of solomon is filled with the physical love of a man and a woman okay dude it almost looks like dowd, but it's doad. It's the sex love of the Hebrew language. Rightly, do they love you? And so again and again and again, and this is where the community is delighted. Uh, the brothers are delighted. They thought they were never going to marry her off because she was kind of, well, they said, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. And they were really scared that because she was as flat as she was that they weren't going to get a husband for her. And then imagine their mind-boggling surprise when King Solomon goes, wow, I want her, okay? Problem, of course, is he's totally destroyed his soul with his polygamy, but anyway, that's all in the book of Song of Solomon. So let me give you a preview for where we're going to pick up next week, Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern. Let me give you a clue. That's not, uh, this is a metaphor, Okay. Has nothing to do with drinking water. It represents sex between a man and his wife. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? The place for you to be Well we'll talk about this. It's it's at home with your wife. It's not in the streets. And it's not uh, your streams of water going everywhere. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's a command. Have sex and have fun. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. That's an order. Be exhilarated always with her love. That's an order. And then back to the negative again in verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? That that bosom's not your bosom. All right? God gave you a bosom. Well, that's what we'll deal with next week. So 15 through 19 we'll pick up one week from today lord willing and rapture pending father thank you for your truth thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your design father and you designed adam and you designed eve and you laid out what is the blessing for humanity i pray father that we might reflect that in our attitudes reflect that in how we conduct our marriages and uh, father we might stand it's getting more and more ugly um, but we're standing for truth and uh it is what it is father so defend us protect us if a particular segment is going to take us to court and sue us for whatever father i'm not officiating in those weddings um, and consequences may be on the way so father we give that to you as well thanking you for your faithfulness father thanking you in christ jesus name amen